tonight, fuming over fuel prices. These guys are now losing hundreds of dollars a day just trying to keep up with the fuel costs. The slow rolling protest that warns do something now or pay a bigger price later. Plus minimum wage change. The cost of living has gone up. The pay has not kept up. Rate hikes will be tied to inflation, but why critics say the timing doesn't work. And will a move to stop catalytic converter thieves from prospering? I don't think it's going to change anything. Make a dent in the crime? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. I'm Colleen Christie. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. We begin with breaking news that could affect Vancouver property taxes. A development from last year's police budget when City Council voted for a budget that was $5.7 million short of what was requested. The VPD board appealed to the province and we have just learned that appeal was successful. What that means for taxpayers may become clear at a news conference the mayor has scheduled for Tuesday. Now, if you are fed up with the high cost of gas, you are not alone. The sky-high price per litre is fueling inflation and driving up the price of, well, just about everything we buy. Now, truckers are demanding relief from fuel taxes, staging a protest today on lower mainland highways. Ted Chernecki reports. This morning's rainy commute was flashing protest again as trucks paraded back and forth on the freeway between Burnett and 200th Street. But this was nothing like the convoy in Ottawa. This was all about the staggering rise in fuel prices. We're to go up uh, by 50%, which uh, impacts our businesses immensely. Uh, for the consumers, what they'll feel is if we are able to get higher uh, rates and wages, is one thing to cover our costs, but then that just gets passed on to the consumer at the end. There's only so much we can charge our customers before it becomes unaffordable for everybody when we have to park our trucks. So we want to do something before that happens, right? While the price of diesel is up more than 50% year to year, the prices have really climbed in the last five months. In November, the average price per litre of diesel in B.C. was about $1.45, rising to one seventy-eight last week, up 32 cents a litre, or 22%. Same for gasoline, from 165 to 204, a $0.39 cent increase, or up 24% in less than five months. But that's the average price in B.C. In the Lower Mainland, today's price is more like 201 for diesel. $0.40 cents out of every litre, approximately, for diesel is B.C. tax. So there's two things that the Premier could do. He could immediately reduce the taxes on fuel. That would help everybody. And he could also take the carbon tax and give it people a rebate. Energy analysts say there are three major forces driving the price of fuel skywards. Diesel's always costing more in winter as there is increased demand. Post-COVID travel is putting unusually high demand on gasoline. And of course, there's the war in Ukraine. The war in Ukraine has about a 15 to $30 premium. And then you have a strong demand from the refineries. That's added the the other premium on, on diesel pricing. So in short, that's why you're seeing high diesel pricing. The truckers say if they are forced to park their rigs, you could start seeing higher prices at more than just the pump as consumer shortages start to loom. Ted Chernaki, Global News. BC is giving a boost to those making the lowest wages in the province, announcing today an increase to the minimum wage starting in June. But as Richard Sussman explains, small businesses feel it's another hit to their finances during an already tough time. 
it's a bump up for those who make the least. Thank you. The cost of living has gone up very fast. The pay has not kept up. We appreciate the increases over the last few years. And minimum wage is going up again. BC linking increases going forward to inflation. The lowest earners in the province made $12.65 an hour June 1st, 2018, $13.85 in 2019, $14.60 an hour in 2020, $15.20 in 2021, and as of June 1st, it will be $15.65 per hour, the highest among provinces. But the inflation change actually leading to smaller increases than in past years. We are following the recommendations from the Fair Wages Commission, whose recommendation was to, uh, to, to provide a certainty to the businesses and gradual predictable wage increase for the, for the workers. The burden of the increases won't fall on government, but rather on business, who are facing an unprecedented barrage of cost increases. Yeah, we've got uh, mandatory employer-paid sick leave, uh, the employer health tax. Uh, businesses are dealing with skyrocketing inflation, supply chain disruptions, the carbon tax is going up, uh, fuel prices are on the rise. The inflation increases also based on last year's average, meaning 2023 could see a bigger jump considering inflation is currently around 5%. Next year's increase could move rates to around $16.50 an hour, still well short of the living wage in Metro Vancouver, now more than $20.50 an hour. When you gradually increase the minimum wage, you don't see negative employment effects. What I'm still waiting from the Fair Wages Commission is to give us uh, suggestions and recommendations what can we do to deal with the difference between minimum wage and living wage? The business organizations quick to point out a jump to a living wage is not something they could manage alone without government's help. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Three days worth of COVID-19 numbers to share with you, including an uptick in ICUs. There are 359 people in hospital. 51 of those patients are in the ICU. That's up by five. There have been 14 more deaths recorded. And we have 689 new confirmed cases of the virus. A B.C. couple is warning spring break travelers to plan ahead after they got stuck in the U.S. while trying to return home. The snowbirds, who wintered in the Palm Springs, spent almost three days in a hotel in Bellingham because they neglected to pre-book an important travel requirement. Kylie Stanton explains. Welcome to my new home for a couple of days, maybe three, who knows? There are plenty of ways to pass the time. Martin's getting good at solitaire. Alcohol has been my friend over the last couple of days. But what April Lewis really wants to do is pass a test. I honestly, truly thought that it would be a piece of cake. Lewis and her partner were making their way back home from Palm Springs, planning to cross the border into Canada on Saturday. They were aware they needed a negative COVID-19 rapid test result in order to do so. But what they didn't know is just how difficult it would be to get one. We went to a, a couple of pharmacies. They said you have to pre-book. But they said even if you do pre-book, we don't have any product. There is no product in Whatcom County. The couple scoured the city, striking out even at the airport. Lewis then reached out to her MP, who managed to find an appointment roughly 30 minutes away in Birch Bay. The only catch? It's for Tuesday. And so... They wait. Gave myself a manicure. 
gone for walks. Did I mention alcohol? I think I did. Are we the first person that this has happened to? The federal government eased testing requirements at the border crossings for fully vaccinated travelers late last month. And while rapid antigen test results are now acceptable, those in the tourism and business sector say the protocols are not. The clear strategy for the federal government is to remove all of these testing requirements for fully vaccinated travelers. We've been calling on it. And now April Lewis's as well. Mr. Trudeau, if you're listening, I am triple vaxxed. What more do you want? My firstborn child? I mean, Please. But more than anything, she hopes her story serves as a warning, particularly for families heading into spring break. Please be aware. Do your homework. Do your research. On Monday, Lewis and her partner managed to cross the border. She found a test. She passed it. But after two nights and three days stranded. I've been waiting for Martin to play crib with me, but he won't. Passing the test of time was the hardest part. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Okay, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on this. Keith, do we have any idea when the federal government could ease some of the cross-border requirements, such as testing? Yeah, I talked to senior officials at both levels of government, the provincial and federal government. The federal government, of course, is entirely responsible for the border, but they're expressing optimism that we could see these restrictions, particularly testing requirements, eased fairly quickly, as early as the end of this week. Uh, That's not necessarily confirmed yet, but they're noting what's happening in Europe. Ireland today completely got rid of all travel restrictions. Other European countries are easing restrictions as well, particularly for fully vaccinated travelers. Uh, Every indication right now expects the border restrictions and terms of testing in particular and vaccination requirements to be eased sooner than later as again as early as later this week or next week. Thank you. The mayor of Whistler is speaking out in frustration about an ongoing transit strike in the area. The dispute between BC Transit and bus drivers in the Sea to Sky corridor began back in January. Well now as Catherine Urquhart reports the lengthy job action has the mayor concerned for everyone's safety. Transit employees who work along BC's Sea to Sky Corridor continue to walk the picket line. It has now been more than six weeks since they went on strike. Whistler's mayor says the labour dispute is a big safety problem. The strike is significantly impacting our community. It's making this a less safe place to be. There's more drunk driving, there's more people walking along the highway. The strike involves 80 employees, including operators and maintenance workers, who say they're underpaid. So far as wages, we're trying to achieve parity with Vancouver. I mean, they're making three, four dollars more than us. Maybe not get exactly parity, but at least closer to them at least. While BC Transit is responsible for service along the corridor, they contract out to private bus company Pacific Western. Whistler's mayor says a resolution is desperately needed. I'm asking the union and the company to sit down and make a deal. Uh, This needs to end and it needs to end soon. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Transit police are asking for help identifying a suspect who bear sprayed a driver last month. Police say the attack happened February 20th on an early morning run in Vancouver. A man boarded a bus in the 900 block of Main Street, made his way to the back, and several minutes later moved forward again, stumbling along the way. When the bus came to a stop, police say without provocation, he reached around the barrier and sprayed the driver. 
Police say the driver is still feeling the impact on his mental health. The suspect is described as indigenous, 35 to 45 years old, with a slim build. Well, it has been a messy day on the roads with heavy rain in many areas. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here. And Yvonne, is the torrential downpour over? Not quite yet. We're not in the clear. We've already seen anywhere between 25 and up to 40 millimeters. And we still have an additional 30 millimeters to get through this evening and leading in towards the morning hours. Right now, we've got a heavier pocket even just near Coquitlam. And heavier rainfall will be along the North Shore Mountains, extending into the Tri-Cities as well as the Fraser Valley this evening before it really does start to ease off. We're seeing it along the island as well. It's breezy for a few spots that are closer to the water with winds of up to 30 kilometers per hour and the rainfall warning that is in effect also extends in towards Howe Sound. So 15 up to 80 millimeters by this evening should taper off but we still have a significant amount of snow if you're traveling along the mountain passes. I'll have those numbers in the timeline coming up very shortly. Colleen? All right. Thanks so much Yvonne. They have become as precious as gold and as much of a target for thieves. The valuable metals in catalytic converters can be sold for profit at a huge cost to the vehicle owner. Well, now the new regulations designed to thwart the crime in just over a minute. Planning a trip? Why, you may want to buy your airline ticket sooner than later. And the warning after a puppy was poisoned by toxic drugs at a Coquitlam Park. Those stories coming up. Now, the province is cracking down on catalytic converter theft by introducing new rules and regulations for metal dealers and recyclers. The demand to do something has been growing louder as thefts skyrocket, leaving the public insurer on the hook for millions. Kamal Karamali reports on the changes. Excuse me! You have the daytime grab-and-go, the more subtle nighttime park-and-heist or the driveway snatch and dash. However, thieves are stealing catalytic converters. They're doing it quick and in larger numbers than ever before. Now the province is cracking down on thefts. It's important that the police have uh, this, uh, this new tool. Scrap metal dealers are now required to report each catalytic converter transaction, including information about who is selling it to them. Take down the information from the, uh, the owner, uh, check identification. The province hopes it'll stop the epidemic. ICBC says the number of reported catalytic converter thefts in 2017 was 89. That spiked to more than 1,000 in 2020. And in the past year, it almost doubled to nearly 2,000. The cost of claims for catalytic converters has also skyrocketed. 350,000 in 2017, exploding to more than $4 million in 2021. Their value in the trace amount of precious metals inside, but they really vary in what they're worth. This one only worth 20 bucks, meanwhile this one is worth 700. Some metal scrap dealers are skeptical about the new rules. I don't think it's going to change anything. Capital Salvage says the problem is enforcement after catalytic converter thefts are reported to police. The police are just, they know not much is going to happen. So they don't seem to want to put the effort into it because it leads nowhere. And even if police do make an arrest, they say it gets bogged down in the courts. It gets stuck at Crown Council and the charges wait and wait and wait and are usually eventually dismissed. The province didn't specify how it plans to ensure all metal dealers are following the new regulations, but hint that there may be more to come. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A new escalation in the war on Ukraine. 
For the first time, Russian forces are striking the heart of Kyiv. And a Ukrainian woman escapes to family in Calgary, but leaves so much behind. Stay with us. Good evening, and traffic has almost fully eased off here along Highway 1 eastbound through Vancouver and Burby. Just a bit of minor congestion at merge points like Cassiar, Willingdon, and Kensington. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. Russian bombs have begun falling, falling in the heart of Ukraine's capital. The development comes as a member of Russia's Security Council admits the war's progress is slower than expected and as Ukraine's president prepares to address the Canadian Parliament tomorrow morning. Aaron MacArthur has the latest on a war that's now forced nearly three million people to flee their homes. For the first time in this war, bombs are falling in the heart of Kyiv. Security cameras capturing the moment a man out for a walk came face to face with the horrors. An apartment block, one of several buildings, destroyed Monday. At least one person was killed here, dozens more injured. Firefighters struggling to pull people from their homes. This man says the trajectory of the smoke fell right here. One man in his 70s was gone. They tried to save another woman as well. The mayor says the attacks haven't panicked the residents of Kyiv, only strengthened their resolve. Every night during the day, during the night, people spend weeks in underground, in bunkers. The people were so angry. The president continues to ask for NATO protection, saying in a statement recorded on the streets of the capital, it may be beautiful, but Ukrainians don't even notice. The skies are not clear in Kyiv. Talks meant to bring an end to this invasion were put off until Tuesday. But the international pressure to bring a resolution is mounting. Hundreds of thousands of people are without water or electricity. It kept getting worse. The scope of the crisis can be seen in Mariupol. This port city has been targeted by Russian forces for weeks. Monday, while reports suggested some vehicles were allowed to leave, according to the Ukrainian government, a convoy carrying vital relief supplies and buses for evacuation failed to make it into the city. Food and clean water running scarce. As many as 2,500 people have been killed. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An act of bravery during Russia's most watched newscast. An employee said to be an editor with the network saying, stop the war, no war, while holding up a sign reading, don't believe propaganda, they are lying to you. Russia has made it a criminal offense to spread what it calls false information about the invasion. Those who do so could face 15 years in prison. The protester has reportedly been detained by police. 
Some Ukrainians fleeing their war-torn country are beginning to arrive in Canada. A Calgary teacher picked up his mum from the airport on Friday. Still jet-lagged, she's grappling to understand the horrific events that have ripped so many lives apart, including her own. Jamie Dahl reports. A mother and son sit in a quiet Calgary park. Feels a big, big relief, like somebody touched my heart with a palm. She's safe now, but Tamila Kovalchuk still hears the sound of bombs echoing in her ears. Yep. Yes. Exhausted, Tamila arrived in Calgary on Friday after an eight-day journey on packed trains and in strangers' cars through three different countries. The grandmother fled her town in Ukraine with a pair of slippers and a small portion of food. She didn't want to go till the last minute. She didn't want to go till school and maternity unit and hospital were destroyed. Very hard. I didn't want to go. Her sons, one still in Ukraine, and Oleg, a school teacher in Calgary, insisted she had to get out. Kavalchuk says a woman in her town died, leaving behind her month-old baby. She never imagined this would happen to them. Kyiv bombed. Kyiv is. Kharkov. Especially Russia. It's always been brothers. Calgarians donated food and clothes, even perfumes. Perfumes. Because I didn't have anything. Oleg's brother and two nephews remain in Ukraine and he speaks to them every day. It's stressful and hard and I'm checking. It's hard. It's, I, ca- I cannot stop doing it. It's, and it is painful. While Tamila is grateful to be here with her son and his family, she hopes it will only be for a visit. My home, my life, my relatives are there. And so is her heart. Yeah. Jamie Dahl, Global News. A disturbing incident in a Coquitlam Park. If a child touched this substance, the absorption through their skin into their bloodstream could kill them. Why police are now issuing a warning after a puppy was poisoned. And what we're learning about Howard Hughes's residence at the Western Bayshore 50 years later. Traffic is eased right off here along Highway 1 eastbound through Vancouver and Burnaby with just some minor congestion at merge points like the Cassiar, Wellington, and Kensington. Sussex Insurance are your community auto plan experts. For questions about recent ICBC changes or to find a location near you, visit sussexinsurance.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Kamloops RCMP are searching for a woman suspected of sending three people to hospital over the weekend. Police were called to a bar in the 700 block of Sydney Avenue just after midnight Saturday. Two women had started fighting inside, but the fight escalated, spilling onto the street. Police are searching for this woman suspected of stabbing another woman, her companion, and a bystander who tried to break up the fight. Police say she left the area with a man in a white pickup truck. Anyone with information is asked to contact RCMP. Coquitlam RCMP are warning the public after a puppy was poisoned by toxic drugs at a local park. Come on, Wake. 
Wag, a four-month-old Heartland Terrier puppy, is recovering after he sniffed a suspicious substance while walking with his owner on a trail in Monday Park on Monday. 45 minutes later, Mark Horsley says that his puppy became unsteady on his feet and then fell over. Wag was rushed to an emergency vet where he tested positive for cannabis and an opiate. And it turned out that it was uh, uh, cannabis uh, gummies uh, laced with fentanyl. He was on an IV all night and uh, his uh, vital signs didn't stabilize until uh, 3 in the morning. And um, so it was a sleepless night. Um, we were terribly worried sick about him and were able to pick him up the next day. He spent uh, the whole day sleeping uh, next to me in my lazy boy chair. If a child touched this substance, the absorption through their skin into their bloodstream could kill them. An adult, uh, it, it could cause poisoning, maybe an overdose. Police are reminding people that while cannabis is legal, illicit drugs are not, nor is consuming or discarding drugs in public. Vancouver's Chinatown continues to be battered by senseless vandalism. More broken windows and graffiti greeted staff at the Chinese Cultural Center this morning after an overnight crime spree damaged an entire block. Community leaders say the same block of East Pender between Carroll and Columbia Streets always seems to be the one hardest hit. This time, even the bus stop glass wasn't spared. More than frustrating, as a matter of fact, it's de depressing. Looking at it and how we can handle this, uh, particularly looking forward. And then um, this is what uh, better for, for a little while, I mean, a later part of the last year, 2021. But then it's coming back for the last few months, and then it's the vandalism and the graffiti is coming back. Guac says the hits just keep on coming on a daily basis and that the Chinatown community just has to live with the constant crime. Billionaire Howard Hughes was an enigma. He made a fortune in the aviation and movie industries. And 50 years ago, the American philanthropist moved into the Bayshore Inn for six months. He was a recluse battling obsessive compulsive disorder. Jordan Armstrong picks up the story from the Howard Hughes Hotel Suite. Colleen, this is a legendary Vancouver story. If only these walls could talk. We're inside the Howard Hughes suite on the 20th floor of the Westin Bayshore Hotel, and this is where the billionaire lived for six months. And the popular version of the story is no one aside from his bodyguards ever saw him. Boxes of movies were sent up on the service elevator. His food had to be cut in a very specific way and taste tested so he wouldn't be poisoned. The windows blacked out so no one would see Hughes. He had made his fortune in film and aviation, but by 1972, he was gaining a reputation as an eccentric and germaphobe who was constantly on the run from taxman Uncle Sam. His unexpected visit to Vancouver all began with a strange phone call to the hotel manager. Stan Yip, a night bellman at the time, remembers it well. He just said, if we don't get the rooms, we buy the hotel. He bought uh, a Las Vegas hotel. So That's it was what a happened. serious threat. Yeah, yeah, he was serious about it. <laughs> so what did the hotel do? The hotel, the, the general manager phoned down to Seattle and said, what do we do? Give them the rooms. We'll farm these people out. And he took three, tower, uh, three uh, floors in the tower. 
the arrival of Hughes was not only international news and whatnot, but it was a big story here, in, a huge story here in Vancouver and, and fascinated people for years. And any time, you know, you talk to somebody of a certain age in Vancouver, they, when they drove by the, this end of town, they would always look and say, Howard Hughes is up there, you know. Now, Hughes and his entourage left almost as mysteriously as they arrived, just shy of six months, so he didn't have to pay taxes in Canada. Coming up at 11, you'll hear what this room looked like after they departed. The Howard Hughes visit, 50 years later, tonight on Global News at 11. Colleen, back to you. In Health Matters tonight, as public safety measures are beginning to be loosened in Canada and other Western nations, one country is ramping up restrictions as it sees increased COVID infections. Kyle Benning has more. The smiles are big, bright and now visible along the Champs-Élysées. France has lifted most of its COVID-19 public safety measures like vaccine passports and masking in most circumstances. Many in Paris enjoying the start to this week. She says it's true that it's more pleasant to not wear a mask, especially when working to be able to see people's smiles. The only mask enforcement in France is on public transport and in health facilities. While the situation in hospitals is improving, case counts are starting to increase. It has one Canadian infectious disease specialist saying lawmakers need to use targeted public health restrictions if they're considering bringing them back. And so it's not insensitive as much as it's pragmatic to start thinking about the future where we don't go backwards. It's also very confusing for people to keep going backwards with policymaking. Dr. Neil Rao says the country has reached a point where it's time for Canadians to start living with COVID-19. He notes the next 45 days will be important to reduce the risks of spreading a new variant. It's time to start living with COVID. It doesn't mean we're cavalier and that we ignore the vulnerable people who can get the worst outcomes from it. We still need to be careful in healthcare. We need to be careful with immunocompromised patients. In China, that time is now as the country deals with increased caseloads of stealth Omicron, a variant which has brought the country's largest outbreaks since the discovery of COVID-19 in Wuhan. This woman in Shanghai says, I think the pandemic this year is worse than the first year, but we aren't really panicking, unlike the first year where everyone was panicking. Now, no one is panicking and their attention to self-protection is quite good. Shanghai has shut down schools and parks, but in the hardest-hit province in northeastern China, some 26 million residents have been forbidden from leaving their homes. Kyle Benning, Global News. Oscar-winning actor William Hurt has died at the age of 71. Hurt's family says he died from natural causes surrounded by loved ones. No cause of death has been released, but Hurt was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2018. His acting career spanned more than 40 years. Some of his best-known performances include his role in Body Heat, The Big Chill, Broadcast News, and Children of a Lesser God. Coming up next, it's not just driving that's costing more. Spring break is almost double that I've ever seen, ever. Why, you may want to book that flight soon. And the BC Kid making music for kids and earning a huge honour as the news hour continues. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. As you might guess, demand for airline travel is up this spring, but many would-be travelers are worried about how the rising price of fuel could send the price of their vacation sky high. Global's Carolyn Curry de Castillo has more. It's a busy spring break for travel agents in Calgary and an expensive one for some travelers. Spring break is almost double that I've ever seen, 
ever in the history of travel, and I've been in the business 40 years, because people haven't traveled for two years. They're willing to pay more. Like a 2,000 all-inclusive, you're paying 3,500 for that a week. Adding to the concern over ticket prices is the cost of fuel going up, but aviation analyst Rick Erickson doesn't anticipate a big jump in the cost for consumers. Additional fuel costs, those are problematic though, likely to drag down profits. I think uh, carriers are going to want consumers to be fairly happy, get on board, fill their seats up, maybe not make quite as much profit this summer as they had in past pre-pandemic years. WestJet just announced its new schedule, restoring service levels across Alberta to pre-pandemic levels, which will help supply keep up with demand. Domestically, we're going to have a very, very strong year for demand. Erickson says that if you do choose to book now for travel down the road, read the fine print. Well, make sure you've read really carefully what the refund policy is. Do I get my money back or do I get credits back? What exactly is it? And I want to understand that thoroughly before I push the pay button. Carolyn Curry, De Castillo, Global News. Christy has the night off. Uh, Yvonne is here. And I know a lot of us would have liked to have been on a plane to somewhere sunny this morning, Yvonne. Yeah, especially after what it looks like out there today and the start of spring break for many. But there is a silver lining. It's not going to be a complete washout. And I'll show you some of the bright spots that we're seeing for this week. Temperatures are currently sitting at 7 degrees. We've got an easterly wind at 20. But a few areas closer to the water could still see those gusts of up to 30 kilometers per hour. There's that wave of moisture. Heavy at times. We'll continue to see it for this evening. 25 and up to 40 millimeters is what we've seen already, but we still have the potential with an additional 30 millimeters. So a heads up along the south coast. Rainfall heavy at times late this evening and in towards our Tuesday morning before things really start to ease off. The rainfall warning that is in effect extending in towards the Tri-Cities, the Fraser Valley. That's we'll see the higher amounts, especially along the North Shore Mountains. Overnight tonight, temperatures will dip down to 6 degrees. We'll still have that wave of heavy rain potentially for the morning hours. And then by the afternoon, it's a chance of showers and temperatures will be climbing up to 10 as a daytime high. Morning, there's a snapshot for Metro Vancouver, but there's lots of instability that's going to pick up for the southern interior. We're looking at the risk of thunderstorms. And if you're traveling along the mountain passes, a big concern will be the snowfall. A significant amount with higher amounts for the Coquihalla as well as the Kootenai Pass, upwards of 20 centimetres. So you'll want to check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions, but the snow will be at heavy at times and continue all the way in towards tomorrow evening. Now, the northern half of the province is wet and windy along the coast. Some of the winds getting up to 60 kilometres per hour. A chance for some showers for the central interior. The concern for the southern interior afternoon and early evening will be the risk of thunderstorms with lots of instability. Whistler could even see a few wet flurries and then changing over to showers. And then along the south coast, we should start to see the rain easing off through the afternoon tomorrow with the chance for some showers. A few bright spots in there, potentially for our Wednesday and then on Friday through the day. Highs over the next few will be anywhere between 10 and 11 degrees. And tonight's weather window, great shot. This one was captured uh, near Terrace. So thank you so much, Eileen. Mm, beautiful. Oh, we can always dream. Um, okay, Squire, you're the only um, member of the 6 o'clock team, regular member, who didn't take vacation this week. I wasn't invited. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody went somewhere sunny, but they didn't invite me. I was away from the invitation. I sat by my phone. I checked my email. Nothing. Not true. It's still, it's still of, another week after. You can still get the invite, Just right? a lot of, hey, we'll see, you, uh, we'll see you when we get back. No, not true. You know what? There may be a future Olympian running for SFU right now. Really? Yeah. haven't had the opportunity yet to represent Canada, and that's something I, I really want to do. Middle distance runner Aaron All has basically run his way onto the radar of the people who run Canada's track and field team.
and still to come. Our music is very silly. It does not take itself very seriously. But others are taking this 15-year-old's music very seriously for the biggest music award nomination in the country. Stay with us. Are you sorted out there, Squire? I think so. They kept telling me to move over. You just do your stuff. I'll just move over a little bit. <laughs> Are we all good now? Okay. Uh, we won't know until tomorrow morning if Elias Pettersson will play against the New Jersey Devils. He missed last night's game, of course, against Tampa Bay with an upper body injury. He was listed as day-to-day, but he did skate with a group of Canuck players this morning, so that might be a good sign. Uh, with Vancouver three points out of a playoff spot right now, a healthy Pedersen is obviously a key component. And it would be good to have him tomorrow night because the Canucks haven't beaten the Devils since November 25th of 2014 when this man was 16 years old. Twelve games in a row without a win against New Jersey. Uh, Austin Matthews has been given a two-game suspension for testing the flexibility of his stick on the face of Rasmus Dahlin. That sticks for scoring goals, not for this. It's the uh, first suspension of Matthews' career. He leads the NHL with 45 goals right now. Yes, very out of character for Austin Matthews. The uh, Seattle Seahawks have re-signed safety Quandre Diggs to a three-year, $40 million contract. Now, he was the Hawks' defensive MVP last season. He's a guy they didn't want to go to free agency. He had five interceptions for Seattle last season and also the season before he was also third in the team in tackles and since joining the Seahawks from Detroit in 2019 he has 13 picks he's coming off a serious leg injury but Seattle expects a full recovery and they expect Diggs to be their defensive leader with Bobby Wagner now gone and speaking of Seattle the Mariners added some offense today and they need it they traded for all-star outfielder Jesse Winker and third baseman Eugenio Suarez, who were both with the Reds. Winker's the key guy in this deal, coming off his best season offensively. 24 homers, a 305 batting average. The only downsides, he doesn't really hit left-handed pitchers as well as he does righties, and he's a bit injury-prone, but it still looks to be a good acquisition for the Mariners. Okay, Players' Championship, because of bad weather, had to finish the third round and the fourth round today. Hanabar Lahiri had the lead after three rounds, but he would finish second. Adam Hadwin had a good fourth round, eight birdies on the day, went bogey par in his last two holes, which was a bit disappointing, but he still finished ninth, so a top ten for him. Now, Brian Harmon shot, watch this, this is incredible. He finished 63rd, but this is the shot of the tournament. Backspin, finds the correct off-ramp, and that's an eagle on a par four. The guy who won it was Cameron Smith. This is on the 17th. This is a gutsy shot considering where the pin is placed. He's also a gutsy man because he's wearing the same mustache and hair I wore in the 80s. And he wins the trophy. It looks much better on him than it did on me. I could show you photos, but you're eating. Uh, SFU... Has had a very good season with its track and field team. On the weekend, senior Allison Andrew Paul broke records winning the 800 meters at the NCAA Division II Indoor Championships. Another big star for SFU this season has been Aaron All, who's become an Olympic prospect in middle distance running. I think the mental aspect of running is the hardest part. Getting out your door every morning and getting the miles in, 
is tough, and so you have to be really committed and dedicated to have success. SFU's Aaron All is still finding his stride as a competitive runner. Aaron didn't take up track and field until his senior year of high school. This after spending most of his outdoor time playing soccer as a kid. But he's made up for lost time. Earlier this year, he broke the four-minute barrier in the mile when he ran the second fastest time in NCAA Division II history, clocking a time of three minutes, 57.95 seconds. Impressive stuff for somebody who initially ran steeplechase to start his track career. When he first came to me, he was a steeplechaser. And I think part of that was, you know, that was a way for him, a vehicle for him to make national championships. You know, he is carded in the 1500 slash mile. So that is what we're going to focus on. I enjoy running the mile the most, I think. So even when I was running the steeple, I would like to switch it up and have some miles in there because it's my favorite event to run. Going from steeplechase, which covers a distance of 3,000 meters, down to a mile or 1,500 meters, is more than just a change of pace. It's a different mindset. For runners, it takes time to mature and figure it all out, from race strategy to developing that perfect stride. You know, we had a bit of a setback in the fall because he got super excited with the way he was competing and he was doing really well and, and he got overexcited, did too much and we had, to, we had to back off for like a couple of weeks. So, you know, we reflect on that, both of us, you know, if he starts to get too excited with some of the, his performances that we can't get caught up in that. Aaron's goals are obvious. He wants to continue to get faster and he also wants to represent his country at both the Commonwealth and Olympic Games. The mindset of realizing, like, I can do this, I, I have a lot more um, potential in the sport. He believes so strongly what he's capable of that he's not surprising himself anymore. So he can be as good as he wants to be. I really believe that. And now back to a fine track and field athlete herself back in the day. Oh, many, many, many years ago. Yes. Thanks so much, Squire. Okay, coming up next, a big honor for the 15-year-old singer in a BC band. Stay with us, you'll want to see this. lead singer of a BC band hasn't even graduated from high school yet but is about to have an adventure many musicians three times her age can only dream of. The group's success is a family affair and as Global Sydney Morton reports they're celebrating a big honor. Thank you Many musicians only dream about a Juno nomination, but Kelowna's own children's band, the Utenuts, have snagged one for their third album, Ponderosa Bunchgrass and the Golden Rule. Making music for children is a very special thing to make music that anyone can enjoy. Our music is very silly. It does not take itself very seriously, and I think that's kind of freeing, you know? It's artist. The lead singer may only be in grade nine, but has been making music in the family band for years. Now the Utnuts are in the spotlight for an album that's inspired by the Okanagan. Ponderosa Bunchgrass, that is the Okanagan Valley. That's where we live. That's the 
the climax of vegetation of our ecosystem. So that's what we see on our hillsides. We see ponderosa pine trees and we see bunch grass and sagebrush. The band brought together guest musicians from across the country to help build the dynamic 12-track album that is filled with fun, love, and meaning. I lean into the absurdity when I write songs and, you know, write about impossibly small animals and living in a house with far too many pets and all these sort of weird circumstances. There are also some songs that are quite serious, that tell stories that are about life and the things that humans go through. That absurdity is set to good vibrations. I think people like to have fun and people like to be lighthearted and they like to be creative and think of things in a different way. possibility of winning best children's album in the country is a dream come true. To have this Juno nomination is like huge gratitude. Just amazing. They'll be heading to Toronto on May 15th to find out if their album Ponderosa Bunchgrass and The Golden Rule will be chosen as the best children's album in the country. Sydney Morton, Global News. Oh, we have our fingers crossed for them. And toes. Yes, and toes. Exactly. A <laughs> uh, quick look at the weather before we go. Uh, we are still tracking that rain. Rainfall warning is in effect. It'll be heavy at times this evening and then hopefully easing off with just a chance for some showers through the day tomorrow. But a heads up, it'll be on and off rainfall through the week. A few breaks in there. Not a complete washout, but those who are making plans for spring break, we may get a bright spot on Wednesday and Friday so far. Okay. Check back in. And before we go, <laughs> we were talking about you, Squire, and the olden days. Mm -hmm. And we found a photo. Oh, that's disturbing. Same, same, but different yeah. as okay. before. So you remember the guy who won the golf tournament? Yeah. Look at, he has the same mustache I do. <laughs> yeah, you just need to grow that mullet out a little bit. You no, know, the thing is, my glasses actually look like a windshield. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, have a great night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Glad I changed. <laughs>